0: Judy Pedersen. I've been a grief counselor for more than 20 years. And during those years, I've learned a lot from the families I've served, the communities I've visited, and the many times grief has come from the most unpredictable places. This work is the reason I formed our Hearts of Hope to help people navigate this awkward journey of loss. We do this through counseling resources, educational workshop, and our flagship Healing Art Community Service Program. What I've learned the most is this, I still have a lot to learn. That's what inspired me to create the Grief to Grit podcast. I want to share with you what I've learned, and I want to hear about your grief experiences as well. What are the challenges? What are the things that you have faced and what has helped? Ask me your questions, and I'll ask you some of mine too. The millions of us grievers out there never wanted to be part of this club. We travel this unfamiliar and unpredictable journey toward hope and healing. And when we get to share with one another, that path becomes a little less lonely. Let's keep learning and healing together. In this episode, I feel privileged to have Lisa Bohm as my guest, who lives and practices in Regina, Saskatchewan. Lisa's life changed forever when her 17-year-old daughter died suddenly in a car accident. She quickly discovered that our society struggles with death, loss, and grieving, and has made it her mission to change that in her book journey to healing a mother's guide to navigating child loss she shares her experience with grief and her way back to a meaningful life lisa focuses on gratitude and living intentionally as a way of honoring her daughter's memory she is an author speaker and certified grief educator who shares the power of hope and human connection in her presentations, workshops, and books. Welcome, Lisa. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Our focus for this episode is mental health and ways a grief professional can help others. We certainly know grief has a tremendous impact upon our own mental health. What are your thoughts based upon your experience helping those move forward through this awkward journey?
1: Well, I think anybody who's listening that has either struggled with mental health or grief knows that it is just a big ball of confusion and yuck. Uh, there's no clear path. And that's what makes it such a tricky topic to, to help somebody with, because everybody's journey is so different But I think there are some keys that we can all all take and put into place and number one is I think we always, always, always need hope. Hope is the foundation. Hope is really just that little tiny glimmer that maybe things could be better someday. We don't have to have um, a detailed plan forward all the time, but we just have to have that hope. The second thing that I think we all need when we're facing adversity in life is courage. And I think sometimes we mistake courage for this big, loud thing. It's actually, courage is a very small thing. It's just that tiny little voice in our heads that give us the strength to do really scary things. Because when we're struggling, getting out of bed can be scary and hard, but it's those tiny little baby steps that we take that actually lead us towards healing. And I think the last thing that we all need in all life's crisis is we need people. Not just people, not just the bodies, but we need the right people. I talk about building a team when you're struggling, right? We need the right people. And maybe your team is really, really small, but it's those people that'll walk beside us when we're doing the ugly snotty cry and they'll peel us up off the pavement 27 times every single time we fall. And I think that if we have those three things,
0: we can do anything. Lisa, you experienced a loss no parent is ever prepared for. How did you turn the loss of your daughter into honoring her legacy? We'd love to hear her story from you.
1: Well, just really quick, um, your listeners can't see, but right over my left shoulder, I have a picture of Katie. She's always with me. I believe that in my heart um, and in my soul. And from the very first moment that we lost her, I always wondered, what is she thinking when she watches me? And is she proud? She was a very vibrant, tell it as it is kind of girl. Um, and she would tell me even when she was here um, in physical form, you know, that, that you know, mom, what is wrong? Come on, mom. You know, she'd give it to me. Um, but just to back up the bus here a little bit, we lost Katie in a car accident, as you said in your intro. And uh, oddly enough, I have two kids, so I have a, a now twenty, almost twenty-three-year-old son, and Katie, who's forever seventeen. Um, and and at that time, seven and a half years ago, she was the one I didn't worry about. Our son, uh, you know, was doing the teenage things that we won't get into today, but he was the one that was really worrying us and gave me all of my gray hair. Um, But Katie was the one that I never worried about. She was always on the honor roll. She um, would come home and say, oh, mom, you know, I got 98% on my economics exam, to which I'd say, great, I didn't know you had an exam because she was just so self-efficient. She was always focused on education and the future. She'd been a competitive dancer for most of her life. So healthy living was just ingrained in her. She, you know, exercised every day. She was always uh, making, you know, healthy food choices, was dead set against drugs and drinking and had actually just received an entrance scholarship into the Faculty of Nursing here where we live, thanks to her 95% average. Had a great boyfriend. She was dating the son of one of the doctors that I work with. Uh, Greatest kid ever. What's a parent to worry about, right? Um, But we all know that life doesn't go according to plan. But getting back to your question, from the very, very start, I never wanted Katie's life to be in vain. I never wanted it to be pointless. And I thought, what can I take from this to help others, first of all, to make her proud? I I picture her sometimes up in the clouds, you know, elbowing the other kids or, or, or folks up there saying, See that lady? See that lady down there in the yellow shirt? That's my mom um and just just trying to do what i can to to really find find the light in the darkness
0: she is absolutely up in heaven elbowing everybody else saying look at that lady in the yellow shirt she's my mom what a what a beautiful description of a beautiful young woman you have created so your your list of things that you've created is is almost endless, but I, I'm curious, and, and I would love for you to share with our listeners what how you offer services. I know that your focus initially was bereaved moms, but, but I know that since then you've expanded that, and I'd love if you would describe that a little bit.
1: Definitely. I mean, as a grieving mother, especially right off the hop, and seven and a half years ago, I found that there were not a lot of great Grief resources that were specific to grieving mothers. Now, I live in Canada and maybe it's different in the US. I, I can't speak to that, but I remember walking into our local big bookstore, which is huge, and there's an entire wall dedicated to parenting. You know, what to expect when you're pregnant. There's an entire section on that the baby years, the toddler years, the teen years, and on and on and on. And literally, there's half a shelf dedicated to grief. And within that half a shelf, there was one other book dedicated just to grieving mothers. And that's what prompted me to write my book. Um, And that's what prompted me actually to, to work with grieving moms. Because the other thing I found is that so much of the messaging that's out there for those grieving and especially grieving parents is your life is over. Your life is over. In fact, I had more than one person tell me to my face in person that my marriage was going to end and that my then 15-year-old son was looking at a lifetime of being a drug addict and having mental health issues, to which I thought, Gee, thanks. So I thought, I know, I ref- no, can't do this. So I really was looking myself for positive messages for people that would just say, this really sucks, but it can be good again. Maybe not as good as it ever was, but good, meaningful, I searched and searched and searched. And now we're starting to see some of that messaging coming up. But at the time, I thought, I have got to do something. And not just for moms who've lost kids, but for everybody who's grieving. You know, to to start maybe talking about how we can change the conversation. I also work and have worked in oncology for over 30 years, I I always have to do the math in my head, and the numbers are just too big, but it's over 30 years, as a frontline worker who's giving radiation treatments to cancer patients. So trust me when I say that I wore and still wear all the hats, social worker, nurse, shoulder to cry on, you know, on and on and on. I feel like I've worked in grief even before my daughter died in an entirely different perspective. So now I'm realizing, holy heck, how ill-prepared are we as frontline workers working in grief? So I've actually started using my grief educator uh, certification as well as my experience in healthcare to kind of marry those together. So now I'm doing presentations in the hospital to the different departments who are working, you know, frontline with those who are, you know, very unwell, where there's anticipatory grief with families and so on. Um, When I was going to school to become a radiation therapist, which is a very long time ago, I don't know why it was all a blur, but I distinctly remember the class that we had on grief. And do you know, I had half a page of notes. That was it. That was it. So I I really do feel that supporting those who are grieving is really important, for sure. But that as a society, I think we can do so much better.
0: I think, I think... I couldn't agree more. You know, um your description of the grief that frontline workers experience is so unrecognized and and so vividly present in the lives of everyone that is, you know, a helper on the on the, you know, frontline of healthcare. We certainly saw that these past several years with the pandemic. I love your description of creating workshops. And I know in my experience I've found that grievers well, people seeking mental health services in general, I would say, there's a level of comfortableness that people have or don't have when they seek services. And and some, some people are okay sitting one-on-one with a counselor. Some are more perhaps okay sitting in a group. Um, I know in my experience, if I run a memorial service, well, we, the numbers there are very, very high and so on. And, and it, you know, from your service, I thought perhaps you would describe when you're delivering your services, how do you adjust that? Well, maybe that's the wrong way to ask the question. Who accesses your services most and what services do they access?
1: You know, what, it's a little bit of everything. And I, I think that, you know, in this space that I am working, that that definitely what I do morphs and changes over time. But I would say more often, um, it is the hospital. It is the the staff that are reaching out to me even before their managers do, just saying, you know, gosh, we're we're really having a really tough time, not only with um, their own feelings and so on, but that they're working with a very vulnerable population and how can they Help those who are grieving and facing loss, but maintaining um, and not draining their batteries.
0: That's what I'm finding more and more people are reaching out for. Yes, I I love that. Um, I just I met with some folks this week in, in a healthcare system. In fact, it was on a cancer center, and they're building a brand new one. and And I loved learning that the focus is going to be. Well, of course, all of the standard levels of care, all of the uh, treatments and state of the art, everything, but also a huge focus on wellness. And I thought, well, this, you know, wellness, not only for the families that are coming in, that's the main discussion that I had was let's help the family members who are waiting for their loved ones. But the discussion turned to, well, why wouldn't this be appropriate for anybody in that healthcare system? So I, I love to hear what you're saying. As a matter of fact, I would love at some point to perhaps partner with you to offer something that you offer to this healthcare system. I think they would love it. How about the books that you have written? Can you tell our listeners you now have written two books? I have your first one and it's wonderful. And now that I see the second one, I'll have that within a week. But I would love to hear you describe what prompted you to write those books and what they're about.
1: The first book that I wrote is called Journey to Healing. Um, And A little bit of a funny story about that. I would never have described myself as a writer. That was my daughter. I think if you would have asked me 10 years ago if you if I would ever write a book, I would have laughed and I'd, I would have said it was more likely that I would scale Everest than write a book. But about a year and a half after we lost Katie, my husband and I were sitting in the front room one Saturday morning having coffee and I said, I think I want to write a book. And he said, what? earth would you write a book about? I said, well, losing Katie. And he looked at me and he said, who's going to want to read something like that? And I said, I don't know. But I said, if I can help one person make sense of this terrible, terrible thing that we're facing, I said, I think, I think it's worth it. And he was a skeptic, I have to say, the entire time. And he was the very last one to read my uh, beta copy before it went to print. And I think it was just because it was a little bit too raw and real for him. But the thing that I am most proud about with this book is that it's not about Katie. It's not about losing my daughter, but I actually interviewed 31 other moms um, about their journey. And, you know, Like we said before, everybody's journey is different, but my hope was that someone could identify with, with somebody in the book and their thoughts, where they were, how old their child was and when they passed and all of the different things. So it, it really is, um, not only full of these stories and snippets and experiences, but it's also full of actionable items, things that people can do for themselves on this journey. And that was published in 2019, and the feedback has been really, really good. I had some thoughts about creating some workbooks and such around it, but I haven't quite gotten there. The second book that you're referring to is actually just an ebook, um, but it's it's how to support others who are grieving. So it's, it's really helpful for those loved ones, friends, co-workers, neighbors, etc., that just don't know what to do, just don't know what to say, as we all were before we entered the grief space. Um, It's so unfortunate in my mind. I feel like me, I can can only speak to my experience, but I feel like I've learned more being in the weeds than I did before I got here. And like I say, I've spent my entire career working with grief. But you don't know what you don't know. Our parents don't talk to us about it. Uh, We mirror, I would say, 95 to 100% of our responses to grief from our parents and what we see and hear around us. So I think a lot of times uh, we fall back to what we've heard and seen before, which is typically the, the cliches. <laughs> um, you know, the, the bring the lasagna, bring the lasagna, and then you're good. And then you can go back to your life and the other person will figure it out. And I have to say, before I lost Katie, I was that person. We don't know what we don't know. So I created this little handbook, and honestly, it's, it's not even that long. Um, but it does have some, some helpful things in there for people, you know, to to just give a glimpse into what those who are grieving might be feeling and helpful things that they can do and say. But I do have a, a third book that's, that's, that's simmering and, and yeah, I, I think I, I have another book in me, and I think it's going to be more about
0: more about adversity in general and how we can find our way back. Oh, I love that topic. I love that topic. Well what I have loved about your first book was that this is something that can be picked up and put down. And as you described going into the bookstore, there are no books. you know there are, they're are big long theoretical you know research books you can find. and but for the person who is newly bereaved, To pick it up and find something helpful and to put it down. Our attention spans just aren't that long in the early days. And, and I think that's, uh, I think that's one of the things that I found most beneficial. And, and I know that the professionals that I've shared this with, as well as their clients, I think that's the most appealing thing is that it's for everybody. It's, you know, it's not just for, it's not just for the clinicians. It's for everybody. If you could. Share. Yeah, I want to I want to go back a little bit because what you said about um people don't know what to say or you don't know what you don't know. Uh I can share a story that I have about when, you know, when loss came to me and, you know, the first time I experienced significant loss. Prior to that, I was in a workplace setting and my colleague, her father had died. And at that point, I was very young. I had no clue what to say to Joan. So do you know what my response was? you hear that blank you know, pause in the conversation? That was my response. And I think it's just simply we didn't know. You know, that's why I think your newest book is going to be the most helpful, because if I had only known then what to say to her then, because then shortly after that, I lost my uh, late husband and, uh, you know, eventually went back to the workplace and guess who was the first person to run up and give me a hug? My friend Joan. And so I, uh, I, I think stories like that are so helpful. And I just, I guess, I, you know, as we conclude here, what story stands out to you most?
1: I think one of my, one of my favorite stories from the book um, goes back to what we were talking about earlier, and that's hope and how I found hope. And I found hope, oddly enough, uh, through two incredible grieving mothers that I met early on in my journey It was four days before Christmas, so just two weeks after we lost Katie, I found myself at a grief support group. And you can imagine the the vibe, the feeling in the room was pretty somber, um, pretty, you know, nobody really wanted Christmas to come. But there were two women in that space that I was so drawn to. There were conversations all around me, just like there is when you get any group of people together. But there were two women directly across the room from me. And I'm sure I was leaning in, leaning in, you know, over, overhearing their, their conversation. But these women were four and five years out on their journey. Uh, but similarly to me, they had lost a teenage daughter. One was in a car accident and one was to suicide. And they also had teenage sons still at home. Like me, and the one mom said, "You know, my daughter loved life. She loved to laugh. She loved everything about it. She loved to go out and have fun." And she said, "So I think that's the way I want to live my life, so that and I'll honor her by doing it that way." I thought, "Huh." And then the other mom said, "My son, he deserves a good life." He deserves a plugged-in mom. He deserves a great Christmas. So we're going to do Christmas this year. But instead of turkey, we're going to have chili. And instead of opening Christmas presents on Christmas morning, which is too hard, we're going to do it on New Year's Eve. We're just going to do it different. And I remember just thinking to myself, okay, so first of all, I get to do grief any way I want and secondly there is some light these women are laughing they're they're in a room that's full filled with other grieving moms but they're shining they're smiling they're talking about the future and I remember thinking that's how I want to do my grief
0: what an extraordinary story it must have felt like a gift for you to have something like that occur right before a major holiday. Lisa, your story right from the moment we met has been so deeply inspiring to me. I know our listeners will be inspired as well. I wonder if you could share how our listeners can get in touch with you. I'm sure many of them would like to learn of your services and possibly access them for themselves or for the people they love.
1: Probably the easiest way and easiest thing to remember is uh, my website, which is grief supportformoms.com. And that will take you to all the links to my books, my workshops, and everything else that I do.
0: From the bottom of my heart, I thank you, not only for the help you provide for so many people, but for sharing your story with me and with our listeners. I'm deeply grateful. I'm sure our listeners are as well. My pleasure. I hope you have enjoyed our discussion with author and educator, Lisa Boehm. It truly has been a joy for me. If you would like to reach out with your stories and experiences, I would love to hear from you. I want to hear what works and what doesn't. Feel free to email podcast at ourheartsofhope.org. You can listen and subscribe to the Grief to Grit podcast wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Finally, if you would like to explore Hearts of Hope's programs and services, I encourage you to visit our site at ourheartsofhope.org. Thank you for sharing a few minutes of your time with Lisa and me and for making space to take care of your grief until next time, grieve on and let your legacy grow with every one of your life's experiences.